Welcome to Full Court Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. Dominic, after just a 72-day layoff, the new NBA season will commence Tuesday. You excited? Oh, I'm definitely excited. More importantly, it's only been 72 days, quite frankly, and time has gone so slowly since the Heat lost and blew that last game in the NBA Finals. Please, time has gone by quickly since the Celtics blew the entire Eastern Conference Finals. You have no idea how much I've been anticipating the change. All right, boys and girls, back on the show today is the big basketball historian, the man Dominic Chappone. And today's episode is packed. We talk everything surrounding the 2020-2021 NBA season. We will predict award winners and the season's outcome. But first, we focus on some current news, starting with two contract extensions. After much speculation and rumor, Giannis Antetokounmpo has officially committed to Milwaukee. The Greek freak signed a five-year, $228 million Supermax extension that keeps him with the Bucks to at least 2025 with an additional year of a player option. Milwaukee has had an interesting offseason, to say the least, Dominic, trading those picks for Drew Holiday and the whole Bogdan Bogdanovich fiasco. So does this signing surprise you in any way? To an extent, I want to say no, because there were some warning signs early on that while there was some controversy whether Giannis would sign the extension or not, um, I was leaning toward Giannis. I thought he was going to sign the extension when it was announced that the Heat re-signed Bam to that max extension, as well as the fact that the Bucks gave up so much for Drew Holiday. I think we kind of like knew that something was going down with Giannis. Like there had to have been like some pre-negotiation in regards to him signing. So honestly, it wasn't like truly shocking. But with that said, I'm surprised it happened A, this early, and B, that they actually got the deal done. And this is an important move, not just from Milwaukee, but for the whole league itself, because we've seen in the past five years, all these superstars jumping teams and basically saying, I want out of this city. I want to go to the Knicks or to the Lakers or to any of these big market teams. And for once, we're seeing a small market star basically say, I want to stay put in this city and win a championship in this small town. I think for the Bucks is a great victory for them. And I think that it has a good future for what's to come. You know, I am not entirely convinced that Giannis wants to stay in Milwaukee. What I am convinced about is that he wants a lot of stinking money. I mean, $228 million, largest contract in NBA history, but that even though he signed that contract, that doesn't mean he can't demand a trade, right? I mean, look at what James Harden is doing right now, demanding a trade. Look at what Jimmy Butler did, demanding a trade. Russell Westbrook, he's a Supermax player. He's already been traded. So you've honed all that in together. I'm not convinced Giannis wants to stay in Milwaukee just yet because Drew Holiday is only under contract for one season. If he bolts after this coming season, don't be surprised if Giannis requests a trade. I mean, and this is, you make, it is a huge victory for small market teams like Milwaukee. I mean, you saw Kevin Durant bolted from OKC to California, one of the biggest markets in the, in America. I mean, to I mean to tell you, but another thing with small markets, interesting, Gordon Hayward left one of the biggest markets in the country in Boston for Charlotte, arguably the smallest market in the NBA, except for maybe OKC. But, you know, this really impacts how things are going to play out in the East over the next several years. But overall, just a big signing for Giannis, big signing for Milwaukee. Yeah, and I've been doing some reading recently, and there's definitely, I, there's a lot of parallels to this with Kevin Garnett. Because, you know, Kevin Garnett was the same. He was this trans, or trans, uh, or this sensational superstar, but in a small market. And when the team wasn't putting the right pieces around him, Garnett still stayed. But we saw how that quickly that situation can can quickly diffuse and force either a 
trade or the player saying I'm out. We saw okay. it with Kevin Garnett where and there's a picture of Kevin Garnett along with the Celtics starting five in 08 right above me on my wall. So that goes to show how quickly so you can thank, you can plans thank can Minnesota's blow up. terrible general managers for uh, allowing <laughs> Kevin Garnett to leave. Hey man, you know. But anyway, yeah, you know that contract will really improve Milwaukee's, uh, Milwaukee's morale so much so that it's now Heat in six instead of Heat in seven. It was Heat in five, by the way. Oh my bad, my bad. Anyway, another recent big extension is that of Paul George. Uh, the much maligned Clippers shooting guard has agreed to a four-year, one hundred seventy-six million dollar extension that keeps him in Los Angeles through at least twenty twenty-four. Uh, Paul George promised that he owes the he quote owes the Clippers a trophy. No dub, Paul, especially after he shot the ball off a backboard in Game 7 of the Western Conference semifinals. Uh, Liam, does this make sense? I think so. And you can talk as much trash about Paul George's playoff performance as you want. But, you know, you have Kawhi Leonard, who will likely become a free agent next summer. This is your pitch to keep him in. When you, when you were attempting to sign Kawhi Leonard, he said to oh, the Clippers, get me Paul George. They got him Paul George. It didn't work out. I don't know. I don't know what happened. They, In my opinion, they had the most stacked roster in the NBA, but it all went down the waste in games five, six, and seven of that Denver series. And the Clippers are the Clippers are a better team than Denver, but they didn't play like it. Not at all. And it's the same way that I think Milwaukee was a better team than Miami, but Miami outplayed them to the core. So that being said, it's it makes perfect sense for the Clippers to make this move, especially after losing Harold to the Lakers of all teams this summer, or winter, excuse me, which only makes matters worse in the other locker room in Staples Center. Yeah, so my thing with Paul George is that I think he's a great player on, in theory, like on paper, he's a fantastic player. Like his three-point shooting, the defense, the shot creation, all of it's fantastic, but just in certain key moments, he has just failed to deliver for his team. It's not just this year. We've seen it in past postseason. I remember like on NBA TV about like a week ago, they were airing, on the 2018 first round against the uh, against the Jazz, and Paul George was just missing every shot. No matter, I think there was a game where he went like two for 18 or two for 16. Like he just disappears in these huge games, and I think that's the narrative that he wants to try to break by re-signing with Los Angeles. Now, actually, like as crazy as this sounds, I actually kind of like the move for Los Angeles uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, first, I think Paul George ages well as a superstar because of the shooting and the shot creation. I think. If he was relying, say, like Russell Westbrook on athleticism, I think he would age poorer as he gets into his mid-30s. But I actually think this suits the Clippers really well. But secondly, I think Paul George can still be an asset heading into his mid-30s, like a trade trip. If Kawhi's still in town and the Clippers need to either retool the roster or get some other pieces that have Paul George, they can easily ship up Paul George. Teams are looking for one of the highest commodities in the NBA is a wing that could shoot threes, play defense, and be a second or third banana on a team. And I think Paul George fits the bill, quite frankly, very easily. Yeah, and one of the things about this whole scenario is, is that it's clear to me that the Clippers are still trying to compete because Denver's is only going to get better. The Mavericks are only going to get better. Among other teams, Utah is still really, really good. And a few years down the line, the Pelicans will be a Western Conference Finals team. So the, as crazy as it sounds, the Clippers' championship window is closing, and it is closing fast. So they have to act on it now, and I think the Paul George signing was a big part of that. 
Yeah, wait, just one thing. I'm agreeing with you on that because we knew this heading when the Clippers signed uh, Kawhi Leonard and traded all their assets for Paul George. We knew that this was a small window. How even though they re-signed Paul George, Kawhi could still opt out and leave in free agency. Now, whether you choose to or not, it's a different uh, situa- uh, scenario. But there is still that chance that, you know, like what if they only have a year or two because Kawhi is getting up there in age, Paul George is getting up there in age. The Western Conference seems to never uh, lose competition. There's always these new young rosters that are getting better uh, – both in their talent and in their winningness. So oh, I forgot I think Phoenix, definitely... too. Yeah, it's a bunch of young teams. Minnesota, I think, still has potential. I think, like, two or three years down the road. Like, they, there's some scary squads in the West, like, three years from now. I think that's going to make it tougher for the Clippers to win later. I think their best chance to win right now. And another thing, the Golden State Warriors would also have been a top-three team this year if it weren't for Klay Thompson's injury. So, if they, get, if they can get a version of Klay Thompson back next year, it bodes tremendous trouble for the Clippers, especially if Kawhi Leonard leaves, but hopefully for Paul George, he can actually back up his self-given playoff P nickname now he has that extension. Rumors around James Harden swirled up this week. I know that's hard to believe. The Beard played in some preseason games, but trade talks have reportedly heated up. Philadelphia have reportedly expressed willingness to include Ben Simmons, but Daryl Morey has called cap, and Daryl Morey, I'm calling cap to that cap. Talks have extended to teams that A, aren't on Harden's wish list, and B, are from both conferences. Dominic, break these developments down. Yeah, James Harden always gives me a headache whenever I have to read something about him or watch his film or just do anything. So just doing this in itself is already a challenge. <laughs> uh, but to basically put it as simple as possible, um, the situation in Houston is pretty toxic. No matter what the Rockets have done, James Harden simply just will not um, oblige to their commands. They have traded disgruntled star and signed disgruntled star for disgruntled star and they still want out we've seen how in the situation with dwight howard chris paul and Russell westbrook james Harden has called the shots on those moves and then those relationships fizzled out in a year and a year or two sometimes even less and we've just seen that james Harden is just a toxic player to play with i'm sorry but he has always the rockets have always built a system in which james Harden can get individual stats and good numbers but they have never translated it to postseason success and it showed time and time again in the past seven years that james Harden's been a rocket executive quotes over the past week have stirred up comparing james harden to dennis rodman who albeit was a very very good nba player especially on the glass but he is not the guy you want to be Compared with, I mean to tell you, I, the last. I think the best you, comparison is honestly the, George Gervin. And if you watch the Last Dance, it exemplifies just how much of a, for lack of a better word, diva Dennis Rodman was. And for James Harden to be given that label, it's just demoralizing for him. And as for where he might get traded, you know, I honestly love to see him get traded to a West team because it would make. The Celtics path a little bit easier, but you know, I mean, well, it's a, it's I'm not a, certain it's a tough anyone. Situation. I'm not certain anyone wants him anymore. It's a tough situation because first off, we need to look at his contract. He so he only has I think one year left, and then a player option. Or I could be wrong, but he has like not that. It's not like a huge like five year deal. At one number two, he's already thirty one or thirty. He's got a ton of miles on him. And if you trade for James Harden, you are giving up so many assets for basically two or three years of, like, prime James Harden. Barely at that. And if you're looking at a team like, say, Philly, is it worth it to give up 10 years of Ben Simmons' prime for two of Harden? Oh, you think Ben Simmons is going to be there for 10 years? 
but, but you get what I mean, though. Like, on paper, though, you're trading basically a guy who's has all the potential in the world to be a top-ten player for a guy in James Harden who, yes, well, he's a great player now. In a couple of years, he won't be more than, like, a top-ten or 15 because he's just going to be declining. It's just it, shooting guards who have that many miles on them tend not to age well unless you're MJ or Kobe. And in terms of, like, the other teams, like, for example, say, like, Miami. Would you want to gut your entire roster for James Harden? Would you want to give all your young pieces for two years of James Harden or two years of great James Harden? If I were the Heat, I wouldn't do that. And if I were many other teams, I wouldn't give up 10 years worth of young assets for a couple years of a superstar who's already declining. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> but, Dominic, I will say, if James Harden ends up in Miami, it won't be easy for Eric Spolch to manage both his and Jimmy Butler's personalities. But do you know it is easy? Podcasting with Anchor. Let's move on to award predictions, Dominic. We start with Coach of the Year. Last season, Toronto Raptors head coach beat out Mike Budenholzer of the Bucks and Billy Donovan of the Thunder. Will we get a repeat performance? I'm going to go with the no. I think while Toronto certainly has a great roster and they're always going to be competitive, they always their system will be in place and they'll always be uh, in these, in these uh, regular season games. I just think that their roster compared to the rest of the Eastern Conference and the entire league itself is inadequate. Uh, I think that they're, I think Kyle Lowry declining into his mid-30s is not going to help the team. I think that they're, some of their bench guys like Aaron Baines and um, Chris Boucher and some of those guys won't replace the loss of Ibaka or Gasol. I think that they have a certain ceiling, and I just don't think they're going to get past like the fifth seed or the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. So I wouldn't say nurse. If I had to lean who like my top three were, I think you can make a case for uh, Monty Williams in Phoenix. I think he's a dark horse candidate. If the Suns do really well and say make the third seed, I think he's a good candidate. If Mike Budenholzer uh, leads the Bucks to a really good record, I think he's a good candidate because he's a good regular season coach. Playoffs definitely say otherwise. Uh, ditto for Frank Vogel. Um, Ty Lue could get it if the Clippers get the one seed or have the best record in the league. Uh, and maybe even Rick Carlisle, if the Mavs really do well this year, Eric Spolsch, I think one of those guys, if they get like a top two or three seed, they'll be in the conversation. But I think Nick Nurse, I think the Raptors are just out of their league this year. Yeah, I mean, the Raptors, with the exception of Siakam, they have no bigs now since uh, both Gasol and Ibaka are gone. You can say Aaron Baines, but as much as I love the guy, former Celtic, getting old, injury prone, not what he used to be. But as Definitely for my coach of the year favorite, I'm going to go with, in my opinion, a coach that is not being talked about enough, along with his team. And I'm going to go with Scott Brooks, the head coach of the Washington Wizards. I'll touch more on how I feel as they'll that they'll perform later this, later in the episode, but the Washington Wizards are building something really good right now. They were down in the doldrums with John Wall. God knows what they were doing, giving them that Supermax extension. But... I really feel like with the Westbrook trade, albeit he's declining, but he now Westbrook has true shooters to kick it out to that aren't the inconsistent ones in Houston. Russell Westbrook now has Bradley Beal, who isn't as selfish as James Harden. Russell Westbrook now has Davis Bertans, arguably the best big man shooter in the National Basketball Association. Russell Westbrook now has Rui Achimura, a young post player. The Wizards can get a top three, top four, top five seed. Scott Brooks should win Coach of the Year, no problem. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, but anyways, let's move on to the Sixth Man of the Year Award. Um, Lou Williams is perennially a top dog for this award, but last year was beat out by former teammate Montrez Harold, uh, who also beat out Dennis Schroeder, uh, who is now with Los Angeles, and they're both on the same team now. 
Um, Liam, the landscape of the NBA's great six-man has changed given Harold and Schroeder are now teammates. How will this affect the award this year? It won't affect the award because neither of the two would have won anyway, and it's not going to be Lou Williams either. It's going to be a guy who perhaps was the biggest breakout star of the bubble, perhaps even more so than Devin Booker and Damian Lillard, so much so that there's now a rap song about him. Yes, Tyler Hero will win the sixth man of the year award. I think he is slightly overrated. Scratch that, not slightly overrated. A lot overrated. But at the same time, he's a very good player, and he he excelled in his role off the bench with the Heat last year. He's not going to drop 37 a game, every game, like he did in game four of the Eastern Conference Finals. Still, mm, about that, by the way. You're still a, bit, still a bit salty about that? Just a <laughs> bit. But yeah, Tyler Hero should win sixth man of the year. Kid's got a bright future. Uh, I actually, ironically enough, I actually have another Heat candidate for six man of the year, but it's not Tyler Hero. I actually had Goran Dragic in the mix. No, Dragic starts. For... Dragic starts for y'all. Uh, see, I don't think he's going to start. I think actually the Heat are going to start Avery Bradley at point guard um, to basically get that defense in there and basically be an off-ball player. And then they're going to put Dragic in for that instant scoring because they also want to keep Dragic healthy for the playoffs. They don't want to tire him out in the regular season. So I think he'd be a good six man. Uh, he's like my dark horse. I don't think he's going to win it because the Heat are actually quite deep. Like, actually, like if you look at their roster, they actually have like, a lot of guys. I think they're going to take touches away from Drogic, but he is a dark horse candidate. I think they'll excel off the bench. I love how we both have Heat candidates there. Let's be real. Perhaps the hardest award to predict at the beginning of the season is Rookie of the Year. John Morant beat out Zion Williamson in last season's race, and James Wiseman and Anthony Edwards are among this year's favorites, given that they were the top two picks. Dominic, last year, John and Zion were the top two picks in the 2019 draft, so... Do you expect a repeat performance, or will it be someone else? My problem with this class is that the top, like, five or six guys are in situations where I don't think they're going to be – they're not in great situations. If we go down the list, Anthony Edwards is on a team where there's a lot of veterans. He's not going to have the ball that much. Minnesota really won't know how to use them because they just – I don't think their coach is all that good and their system isn't all that great. James Wiseman won't be getting that many touches simply because he's not going to be asked to in Golden State. He'll be asked to be doing a lot of rim running, but he won't be asked to score 20 points a game and be a monster or be a monster offensive player. LaMelo Ball, he's going to put up great numbers, but the team is going to be really terrible just because Charlotte's not going to be that good, honestly. So, I mean, I would, le- I would lean toward him as the rookie of the year candidate, but if you're asking for, like, any shocker, the only one I can think of would be Obi Toppin. I think if like the Knicks are a little bit exciting and Toppin puts some great numbers, he's gonna get a lot of minutes because Thibodeau I think actually will like play the young guys, not play Taj Gibson and Bobby Portis forty minutes a night. Um, so I actually think um, I think Obi Toppin has a great chance. I'm gonna go with Obi Toppin. Mm. Nah. Sorry about that. Yeah, Toppin should win Rookie of the Year award because I mean you're talking about a guy who. Led a very small market college basketball team, if that, there ever is such a thing, in Dayton. They would have been a one seed if the NCAA tournament was played. And you look at the Knicks roster, I mean, he has a great opportunity to shine there. R.J. Barrett is still a young developing player, but Obi Toppin has a very good opportunity to shine for that organization. And I believe that he can and will win rookie of the year. Well, I absolutely agree. All right, let's move on to the DPOY word. Liam, offense scores points, but definitely without a doubt, defense wins championships. And one player stands out above all defensively. Giannis picked up the award last year, but past winners such as Draymond and Rudy Gobert continue to wreak havoc on defenses. Liam, will one of these big names repeat, or will a new face come into play? I think a new face is going to come into play. Not Rudy Gobert is winning this award again. I mean, he, in my opinion, is among the players with the most to prove this season because... He was obviously very scrutinized after the way he handled the coronavirus coming into society. 
touching all the mics, being uh, insolent about it, then testing positive. That's karma right there for you, Gobert. So, but I think he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year. So my vote actually would have been, I actually had a dark horse candidate originally before like he blew out his knee in the bubble. I was going to go with Jonathan Isaac. Uh, I actually thought he like all the potential in the world. Uh, I thought he had like the school, the skill set, the tools and the stats to back it up. But it seems like that's out the window. So now my vote, I'm probably going to go with Giannis. I honestly think that it wouldn't be shocking to me given that it's the regular season. He's always been a fantastic defender in the regular season. The numbers he puts up are great. He's always, the Bucks have always ranked up there as one of the top defenses. So he's probably the leading favorite. Um, whether there's like voter fatigue or not begs to differ, but I would probably lean toward Giannis right now. All right. Well, last but certainly not least, we have everyone's favorite award, the MVP. Anthony Kunpo has won the past two MVP awards, and former MVPs Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant are set to suit up for new teams for the first time in the coming week. So, are we going to have a repeat or a newbie take it this year, Dominic? This is, this is by far and away the most interesting MVP debate probably of the last five years because what we've seen is that we have a, a, a candidate in Giannis who's already won twice, but there could be a strong voter fatigue giving the whole narrative thing and the fact that the Bucks are going to basically have like a similar record as they did last year, all that stuff. Um, so will he win three in a row? It definitely is like tough to say. That hasn't been done since, um, I'm pretty sure, Larry Bird um, back in the 80s. It's been a hot, hot. Actually, no, yeah, since Larry Bird is MJ didn't do it and LeBron didn't do it. So it's been a hot minute. Um, if I had to go with a candidate, um, I would probably have, I think Anthony Davis could be a candidate this year. I think if the Lakers have the one seed and LeBron takes a step back and Anthony Davis is dropping 26, 11, and 5 every night, I think he's a good candidate, plus spectacular defense. I think Dark Horses, Luka, obviously, if the Mavs are a two or three seed, expect him to be in the mix. Um, I think you should put Joel Embiid up there. I think it's... <sighs> Don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. Wait, I, you know, I, I'm not done. I think if one of Embiid or Tatum, I think if the Celtics or Sixers are a top two seed and are outperforming expectations, especially because the Celtics have a very thin roster this year, and the Sixers are trying to basically restart what was the failure of last year, if they put up great numbers and they're a top two or three team, I can see both of them in the conversation. So I think those are my candidates right now. First of all, if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one, I would probably lean uh, Luca, uh, and if I had to pick a dark horse, I'd probably lean Embiid. First of all, we'll get into the Celtics later. I really think that Loster has unthinned out, if you know what I mean. But we'll talk about that later. And Luca can and will be in the mix this, this year, and he will win the MVP award. I believe that. As good as Giannis is, he will be the next quote-unquote king of basketball once LeBron is all done for, if you ask me. I think that he's a monster player, and Michael Porter Jr. calling him overrated? Well, I don't think so, buddy. I mean, putting up triple-doubles left and right on a very on a very good team, pushing the Clippers to six in the first round of the playoffs, including that wicked buzzer beater, I think... Another star would help him out. He, I know he's got Kristaps, but they can form a big three and be really, really, really good. So I think that this is a Doncic will take another step forward this year and pick up an MVP award. And before we move into this week's history lesson, we want to recognize a very significant historical accomplishment from this past week. Stanford women's basketball coach Tara Vanderveer surpassed the late great Pat Summit for career coaching wins this week. Vanderveer picked up the 1,099th win of his career or her career of her career, excuse me, on Tuesday night's past summit, and only trails Coach K across both men's and women's college hoops. Dominic, this is obviously a remarkable accomplishment for her 
for Stanford for women's college basketball? Oh, absolutely. She's definitely along with Pat Summit, one of the great figureheads uh, for like feminine uh, coaches. I'm very excited for her, and I think there's a great opportunity. All right, and before we get into the history lesson again, I want to talk about college sports from today, even though it wasn't already scripted. So, Dominic, today Gonzaga beat Iowa 99-88. Obviously, big win for them. Yeah, I've always been a fan of Jalen Suggs. I like uh, his uh, scoring potential. I love the way how he's just a lights-out shooter and playmaker. Uh, I thought this was a big win for Gonzaga, especially over a good Iowa team. So I'm really happy for Gonzaga and for uh, and for Jones. Yeah, all right. And flipping over to the gridiron, let me read the scores off. So Clemson is up on Notre Dame 17-3 to right now, which further emphasizes the point that Clemson is the better team with Trevor Lawrence, and it's not even halftime yet. Ohio State etched out Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship. They're going to get in. A&M beat Tennessee 34-13. Oklahoma beat Iowa State in the Big 12 Championship game. So, Dominic, do you think if Notre Dame loses this game, which, is look, which it looks like they're going to, I think if Clemson loses, the spot undisputedly goes to A&M because that's a two-loss team. Who would you give the spot to should Notre Dame lose, A&M or Notre Dame? I would probably lean A&M. Uh, I think Notre Dame is always a bit uh, overrated, and especially in the news media. I think once they, I think after this loss, basically people are going to like, the hype will finally uh, decrease a little bit. So I'm going to go with A&M. I disagree because as good as, or as good as Trevor Lawrence is, Clemson is still a really good team with DJ Uyangalele at quarterback, and Notre Dame found a way to beat that team. A&M has zero, and I mean zero, quality wins. You saw them get torched by Alabama. You could say they beat Florida. Well, Florida's going to get torched by Alabama today, too. That's what has me leading Notre Dame is the fact that they have that quality win. Do I think they're going to get another quality win? Heavens no, but I'd lead Notre Dame. And okay, time for the history lesson, boys and girls, where we honor great achievements of the past in the coming week. Ten years ago today, December 19th, one of the most remarkable football games of all time took place. Remember it like it was yesterday. The Giants led the Eagles 35-14 to with eight minutes to play, but then everything changed. Philadelphia scored 21 straight points to tie the game and forced New York to punt with ample time left. Deshaun Jackson bobbled the catch off the punt, but somehow, someway, found a way to pull off a walk-off punt return touchdown in one of the most stunning games of all time. The game today is known as the Miracle of the Meadowlands. At the Meadowlands, excuse me. 51 years ago, Monday, December 21, the late great Vince Lombardi coached his final NFL game. Most remember Lombardi for coaching the Packers, but he actually finished his career in Washington. Of course, his legacy is so remarkable that the Super Bowl trophy is named after him. Lombardi is certainly a major icon today and will be for a very long time. 23 years ago, Wednesday, December 23rd, Colorado Avalanche forward Jerry Curry scored his 600th career goal, becoming the eighth player to do so. In my opinion, Curry is severely underrated, in part because throughout his career, he was overshadowed by playing on the same Edmonton Oilers team with greats Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier, both of whom are bona fide legends of hockey. But Curry had an excellent career, Hall of Fame type career. Curry ended his career with 601 goals, 20th all time. 12 years ago Friday, it was a Merry Christmas for Phil Jackson as he picked up his 1,000th career coaching victory, becoming the sixth NBA coach all time to do so. Jackson was in charge of three separate dynasties, the MJ Bulls of the 90s, the Kobe Shaq Lakers of the early 2000s, and the Kobe Lakers of the late 2000s. He won 11 championships across his career, and to put things in his, in perspective, only one other coach's top five titles. Undoubtedly, he is one of the all-time great NBA coaches. And let's begin predicting the upcoming season by going through standings. Dominic, 1-8 in the West, go. 
So if I had to do this off the top of my head, I would say in some order, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Blazers, the Suns, uh, all have to be in that top five. Um, who else am I missing off the top of my head? Um, I think that's a, that's a strong five. For the rest, I think Golden State has to be in the mix. Um, I think uh, Utah definitely has to be in the mix, so that's a good seven. And then that eight spot's really interesting because I can have an – or I forget Dallas. So I think those would be my eight. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I can run that down again. But uh, the Clippers, the Lakers, um, Dallas, uh, Portland, uh, Denver, Utah, Golden State, and Phoenix. All right, so – my one through three in the West doesn't change from last year. I've got the Lakers, I've got the Clippers, I've got the Nuggets. Here's where things shake up. Fourth spot, I've got the Mavericks. MVP, Luka Doncic will lead them a lot. Fifth seed, I've got the Jazz. Boyan Bogdanovich's injury hurt them in the playoffs last year. I don't think, I think they're going to make another bit of a step forward again. Sixth seed, I've got the Portland Trailblazers. Last season's performance was a fluke. Seven, I got the Houston Rockets, assuming they keep James Harden. They still got a lot of talent on that roster, even without Westbrook in place of John Wall. And at number eight, I have the Phoenix Suns. People are going to say, oh, where are the Pelicans? Oh, Phoenix is better than this year. Phoenix will get in the playoffs before them. My only disagreement would probably be Houston. I think Houston is not going to be higher than like an eighth or ninth seed. I think if they end up, even with Harden, I think just the West is so much better that they're just going to have a tough time. With, especially with the chemistry issues and just, it's going to be a total... Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see them going team. far, Dominic. I don't see them going far, but... Their veterans will play a big role in getting them to that seventeen. Oh, I definitely agree. And then the other thing I would push back on is Portland. I think at Portland at six. I actually have a good I have a good feeling that they actually could end up as high as like three or four. No, they could I def- think Den- they I think definitely. Denver's a bit thin. I think there's questions with the Nuggets about um about whether they can actually continue to keep this up. I think Utah will always struggles at the game. They just never seem to find a way to finish higher than like four or five in the conference. So I, I there's a chance Portland can have as a Three scene like that wouldn't shock me. Gotcha. But anyway, uh, let's move on to the Eastern Conference. Not quite as strong as the Western Conference. No, uh, no surprise there. Uh, but it's definitely closing in. Uh, Liam, let's hear your 1-3 for the Eastern Conference. All right, so number one, I've got Milwaukee. Obviously, Giannis, they're going to have another great regular season record. Number two, I've got my Celtics. I think Tatum and Brown are going to take more leaps forward this year. Uh, will it lead to a championship? I'm uncertain. Number three, I've got the Brooklyn Nets. Even I think they are a little bit overrated with all the hype around them, but at the same time, you put KD, Kyrie, and all those pieces together, that group has the potential to be something special. Number four, I've got your Miami Heat. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten about them. They still, I'm glad you haven't forgotten about them. Thank you. <laughs> they've, still, <laughs> they've still got a lot of talent, even though I think they did overperform in the bubble. I'll get more into that later. Number five, here's where things get interesting. Number five, I have the Washington Wizards. I think I've said it before on the show that they will be a top five team in the East this year. And I really, really do believe that. People are sleeping on this year. I think I think I almost just spit on my water, Liam. Oh my god. You really think it's that bad of a take? Finish your standings, but oh that's a that's a pretty strong take right there. Number six, I've got Toronto. They're going to regress a lot. Number seven, I've got Philly. They are still an incredibly big mess, even though they went out and got Danny Green and Seth Curry, two shooters, one shooter, one brick master and Danny Green. And number eight, I've got Indiana. Assuming they don't trade anybody, they've still got a good foundation going there. So they should make the playoffs this year, but I don't know if they can get much past, if they can get past the first round again. I actually almost agree with your list, as even though there's a hot take or two that I don't like. So here's the two things I disagree with your list. Number one, I think you have Boston way too high in that rankings. Here's the facts of the case. 
Gordon Hayward, who, whether you like it or not, was their fourth best player on the team. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Marcus Smart was. Listen, I'm telling you right now, we all, I think people forgot this, but Gordon Hayward last season averaged like a 26 and four for like the first like like 15 games and was like really looking like an And what happened now. after the first 15 games? But that, that that matters because look at the Celtics roster now. Kemba Walker's going to be out for like the first month and arguably two because he's just never going to be the same with that knee. It's always seems to be hurting. After the first six guys in the team, that roster is very thin. You're relying on a bunch of youngsters, and a little couple washed veterans here and they're like, I'm sorry, but that's not a really good team for the regular season. Especially with this whole COVID situation where if one of the, your big guys goes down, how, like you, your depth will not cover the, the talent. Like say Jalen Brown goes out for two weeks because of COVID. Who is taking Jalen Brown's spot for scoring and defense? Is it Aaron Neesmith or Jeff Teague? Like we don't, you really don't have a good roster there that can cover for that. And the other thing I disagree with is having um, – Philly at seven, and I think Washington. And Philly at seven, and Washington at five. Listen, on paper, the Wizards are great. Having two All NBA guards is fantastic, um, especially Beal in the middle of his prime and Westbrook on the tail end. But the rest of that roster is still terrible. They can't play any defense. Troy Brown and uh, Denny Abdia and all these other role players, minus Bertans, can't shoot threes. Um, so the space is not going to be as adequate as you think. Even though Bertans is a great shooter, the rest of the roster is still not that great. I just think they're, again, another thin team that you need depth this year in this NBA season, especially because it's a short regular season. The comeback is a super tight window. With the whole COVID situation, you just need guys that can play in the field. And I think Washington just doesn't have that good of a roster. And lastly, I disagree with Philly. I think Philly, they made the appropriate moves to shore up the, the team, make sure that actually the pieces fit around and beat in Simmons. For all we complained about them last year, they still finished as the sixth seed, and now you're expecting them to drop off to the seventh seed, even though they you can arguably say they improved the roster. So I'm going to have to disagree with you here. Okay. Philly will never win a champ. will never get to a conference finals as long as Ben Simmons is their point guard. Just going to throw that out there, but that's a discussion for another time. Let's move on. We start with the first round, Dominic. Go through your matchups. Who's going to win them? Start in the West. Who are the four teams advancing? Yeah, so if I had to pick the four teams that are advancing, so I think the Lakers would be the one seed. So I think that it's an easy pick for them to move on. Two seed, I got the Clippers. I think they'll be moving on with whatever matchup. The t- definitely, like, this is just a big picture perspective. But the toughest part about this year is fight, figuring out the seeding, especially in the Western Conference, because there are some teams. Like, I can see the Clippers finishing like as the fifth seed, for instance because the other teams are just better or because some things happen, yet they'll still be a good playoff team. And with other, it's like all the Western Conference teams. So I think the seeding is definitely going to be a bit difficult. But regardless, I got Lakers and Clippers um, moving on to the next round. Um, if I had to pick more toward the middle, I think my four or five is Blazers and Mavericks, and I'd probably lean toward the Mavericks because I think Luke's upside is better than anything the Blazers have to offer. And then if I had that bottom matchup, I would probably go Warriors and Nuggets, and that would be a coin flip, and I'd probably have to lean Nuggets just because I think Denver's a bit better. Um, so basically, I got Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, uh, Mavericks. All right, so my series goes this. I've got Lakers versus Suns. I think the Lakers are going to sweep that series. Lakers and four. Clippers versus Rockets. I think James Harden will go off for like a 50-point triple-double and get them one game, but other than that, I don't see – the Rockets doing much. Clippers in five. Then I've got Nuggets versus Blazers. A rematch of a, a second round series from 2019. And I see it ending the exact same way with Portland winning in seven. I'd call an upset on that series. It's a bit of a hot take. 
Dallas versus Utah. This is the series where Luka will prove that he is the next star in the NBA and lead the Mavericks to a quick and easy five-game series win. All right, moving on. And that will be the series where the Jazz will blow up the roster and trade Gobert and, like... I don't think they'll trade Mitchell, though. I don't think they'll think trade Mitchell, they, though. I, I think if that happens, they're going tank mode. I gotta, that's, my, that's my hot take for the day. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let me see. Yeah, perfect. So, actually, William, let's actually move out east now and where our teams are residing and fighting to the death for a... NBA Finals burst. So, who you got playing and who you got winning? So, I've got Milwaukee playing Indiana. I think... I don't think Milwaukee will sweep them, given that they lost the game to the Magic last year. So, I'm going to take Bucks in five. Celtics, Sixers. You know, those shooters in Philly will make so will make a big difference. So much so that it's Celtics in five now instead of Celtics in four. Brooklyn versus Toronto. I think... <laughs> I think that the Raptors' playoff experience is going to make this series much more interesting than people would originally think. So, with that in mind, I'm going to say Brooklyn wins, but in seven games because Van Vliet and Lowry know what it's like to play in the big moments, so I think they're going to push that series. Plus, all of the Nets' young guns haven't played in big elimination games before, so I think they'll struggle out of the gate in that series. And I've got Miami and Washington. The Heat are winning the series, but it's going to be... It's not going to be a short, quick series. I think it's going to be in six. I is think it that is it, it going to be heat in heat in seven. It's heat in six. It's heat in six. It's heat in six. Average forty points. It's heat in six. I think Westbrook and Beal are both going to have good series. I mean, we saw it'll been four years ago, but Bradley Beal was excellent in that series against the Celtics and very nearly won and very nearly led them to a win in that series. I think that playoff talent, if you will, is still there for Bradley Beal. Right, but so don't don't we'll worry. The Heat are the Heat. Don't worry. The Heat aren't going to lose to the Wizards. I th- I, if you said Wizards in five, I think I might have like left this call and just not done the podcast, but that's okay. Glad, 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 glad we're agreeing here. Um, so I'll start with mine. I got um, Bucks Wizards as my one through eight. I think actually, like before we move on, I think we're underwriting Atlanta here. I think we need to talk about how Atlanta could actually sneak into the playoffs they here. Could, like the eighth or seventh they could seed. and they would have if Washington hadn't traded for Russell Westbrook. See, I think they have a chance to upset the Pacers. I think if like, there was a play-in tournament, I could see them upsetting Indiana. Like, that wouldn't shock me. And there will be a play anyway, tournament this year, but, you know. Yeah, but anyway, so assuming we'll use these same eight teams, I got Milwaukee moving on against Washington. I think Washington's an eight seed. I'm just not as high as you are, but we, we agree we have them in the playoffs, which is nice. Um, for my second seed and seventh seed matchup, um, excuse me, I have the Nets and the uh, and the Pacers. I think the Nets are going to win this one pretty easy. Uh, my 4-5 is pretty interesting. My 4-5, I got Raptors Heat. Uh, I'm going to take the heat, obviously. I'm going to say six because I think similar to you, I think that experience is key. I think, like, I actually watched the preseason game the other night, and, like, the Raptors looked really good, even though they weren't playing all their guys and did all the heat. I think those are two pretty deep teams. And the three through six is definitely interesting. I got, um, as the three seed, I got the sixers, and as the six seed, I got the Celtics. You know, the six? It I do. I just, I'm not the as high as you guys. They, they got drilled in back to back preseason games. I understand they don't have it's all their preseason. guys, but it doesn't they got mean j- preseason doesn't mean jack. But when you lose by thirty game and by thirty points, when you play a preseason game, the result doesn't matter. Listen, we're gonna disagree no, with the no, Celtics no, no, this whole no, year. No, 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 How many, how many preseason games did the NFL have? I don't care about the preseason. I'm just saying that's like that's not a good warning sign. Well, you just said you don't care about the preseason. Then why are you blowing? Why are you throwing all these numbers well, I, at me? I didn't say I don't care about. It. I'm just saying like I don't know. I, the preseason has to matter a little bit. It doesn't mean jack, and we're seeing it with the NFL this year. The teams that are supposed to be in front, barring injuries in San Francisco, 
are the ones that are in front. You're not wrong. I'm not going to disagree with you. But yeah, um, so I'm just not a, I'm not, not a side. I guess that's the Celtics Heat rivalry uh, on full mix here. Yeah, because you're scared. You know you got, you know you got lucky. <laughs> I'm glad to watch Jeff Teague is in a carrier bench. <laughs> I don't, uh, not entirely washed, I don't think. <laughs> Liam, your bench is a washed Jeff Teague, a rookie in Aaron Neesmith, this white point guard who I forget his name off the top of my head. Pritchard. And, like, Trist- and, and Tristan Thompson. And Grant, like, Will- and, have- and Grant Williams, who people are actually pretty high on. Oh, don't forget a big Rob. We think he's going to take, take a leap forward in his third year. T- time Lord, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay, please tell, me, please, time, tell me, please, tell, please tell me we're going to beat the Sixers. Listen, if I had to choose, I would probably lean. I would probably lean yes. I think if Kemba Walker's fully healthy, but as of now, I got the Sixers. I'm Which sorry, he I, will I, be. Fu- I, no, 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 no. He will be fully healthy by the playoffs. You would think. I we're not. Think we're not making under- that same I, mistake again. I think people are underrating the Sixers for last season, where I think they just did so bad that people are like, "Oh, we should just write them off." But they actually have a good team this year. Like Al Horford was not a good fit. Seth Curry and Danny Green on paper are worse than Al Horfner and uh, and Josh Richardson, but in fit wise, they're exactly what Philly needed. And they've oh, looked great oh, so no, far. no, 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 no. Philly was bad defensively last year, and they traded away Josh Richardson, arguably their best defender. They were weren't they like sixth in defense? They were not terrible. Yeah, but they traded their it best the defender. They got them. they got worse defensively, and I'm not convinced they got much better offensively. Seth Curry and Josh Richardson are probably going to put up the same offensive numbers this year. See, I disagree because I think Danny Green replaces Josh Richardson's defense to an extent, no, and I think no. Seth Curry provides the shooting that they no need. No way. We really, we really are on the Celtics' uh, hatred and uh, or the Celtics' clash right here. You think of them as the title contender? I think they might be a first round exit. <laughs> no, they are. They are a title contender. <laughs> I, I, well, well, a year from now, we'll see what happens. But anyway, uh, no, I not quite a year. West. Okay, move. Let's move on. Let's move on. On to the second round. We start out West, and last year's Western Conference second round, the Clippers pulled off, in my opinion, the worst collapse in NBA history. Dom, are the Clippers going to go out in the second round again? Uh, I'm going to disagree. Honestly, I think the bubble, while it definitely emulated some of the NBA potential of some of these guys, it also created some weird circumstances. Like, even as a Heat fan, I'd admit, I don't think we would win the first two games if we were actually playing in front of a Bucks home crowd instead of the bubble. Likewise, I think if uh, the Clippers were at home for one of those final three games, they probably would have had a better chance than if they were in a uh, uh, if they were in a non mid court no fan arena. And I think that definitely does matter. So I'm gonna say the Clip. I've got the Clippers and Lakers making the conference finals. I just think they're the two best teams. They get the best upside playoff wise and regular season wise. I think Kawhi and PG are still better than any other duo superstar in the West besides LeBron and AD. And I think that has that matters in the end. And more importantly, I think their team got better. I think swapping out of Baca for Harold was a good move on their part. I think Tyloo as a coach is fantastic because I just think Doc Rivers, for as great as he is, don't get me wrong, there are just times where he just does not make the right adjustments. And when he was playing Harold like a bunch of minutes in the Western Conference semifinals against the Nuggets, I'm like, dude, the guy can't play defense. Like, plays Zubat's numbers were better uh, on the on-off splits, and Harold, he was still playing Harold, and I'm just like, you can't do that. Tyloo actually make the adjustments. He'll connect with the players. He'll establish that culture. I got Clippers and Lakers making it out west. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that the Lakers are going to dispatch of Dallas in five, and it's going to take the Clippers seven to beat Portland because Damian Lillard is just a bona fide stud, and Patrick Beverly is only getting older. But you make great points. Ibaka is really going to fit the Clippers better than. Harold did, in my opinion. So I've got the Clippers and Lakers in the conference finals. 
fine. It took right, a year I'm, longer I'm, I'm than we expected, but I'm glad we agree on one thing, Liam. <laughs> but anyway, let's move on to the East. So in last year's Eastern Conference second round, both Milwaukee and Toronto, who are the two favorite teams in both their series, is uh, uh, lost. Uh, Liam, do we have another instance of history repeating itself here? Okay, so I've got in my two conference final series or Eastern Conference second round series, I've got Milwaukee and Miami. Now we got Boston and Brooklyn. So, Dominic, you mentioned that the bubble was full of extraneous circumstances last year. I think one of those extraneous circumstances was the Miami Heat. I think that, I realistically think that there's a great shot for fans to be back in arenas by the playoffs, depending on how this vaccine distribution goes around. So if, if Milwaukee ends up playing Miami and they have to go to loud, rowdy Milwaukee with fans all over the place, then... I've got Bucks and six. I don't see them lose. I don't see my. I don't see Miami beating Milwaukee if they have to go play in front of the Bucks home crowd. As for Boston versus Brooklyn, we all know Kyrie Irving is all tall against Celtics. Going around burning sage on our home floor last night. I mean, if you watch the TV show Survivor, there's a reason why Coach was on the Villains Tribe, and Kyrie Irving is Coach Wade. I Coach Wade was one of the great personalities on Survivor, but he had some. Interesting beliefs, man. And Kyrie Irving is turning, is very much starting to remind me of him. I don't think Kyrie Irving will be able to do jack against Celtics in the playoffs. Those fans are going to be in his head rent free. So I'm going to take the Celtics in six, assuming that Kevin Durant does not regain full form off that torn Achilles. Because players never do that. But in the unlikely event he does, Brooklyn should take care of us, but... I just don't think he will. So I've got the Celtics in six. Yeah, so in my matchup, the first part of it, I got Bucks and Heat as well, so no shocker there. Uh, but I got Heat in seven. Look, I'm just going to lay this out straight. I love Milwaukee. I've always loved Giannis. I love how they always win good in regular season. But when it comes to playoff time, I'm sorry, they are such a thin roster. I am looking at that team. Here's here we have the, here's the, here's the uh, core five. We got Giannis, we got Chris Middleton, we got Drew Holiday, we got... Brooke Lopez, Dante DiVincenzo, and then what else? We've got Pat Connaughton, we've got Bryn Forbes, Bobby Portis. We got all these fringe minimum guys who are just, quite frankly, not good in a playoff context. Whereas the Heat, while Jimmy and Bam aren't at the Giannis level of superstar, are two really good superstars. I think them two are better than Giannis and uh, Middleton or Giannis and Drew. No I think the way! Guys, no way! You I did not just say that. I got the listen. It's not me being a bandwagoner. I think Miami has a deeper roster. I think we saw how the Miami Heat are the kryptonite of Giannis because of their ability to put a ton of big guys on him, force him down the middle, put him in all these difficult situations. I'm sorry. I got. I'm sorry. I got the Miami Heat. No seven. way. No way. No way. They're not. <laughs> no way. You did not just call him their kryptonite. Kawhi Leonard is his kryptonite. I, I I would I would not I would not agree. He's got two kryptonites. <laughs> He's got Miami and Miami and Kawhi. No but anyway, and then let's move on to the second matchup. Um, I got basically the same as you, only instead of Brooklyn or instead of a uh, Boston, I got Philly. But I got same as you. I got Brooklyn actually making it. Uh, I just like their upside a bit more. I think Philly. Uh, this is where I like kind of agree with you on Philly. I think they have like a bit of a downside where it could still be the same as last year. It could be very disappointing, especially come playoff time. So I'm gonna go with Brooklyn. But I Miami's the Miami's the shocker. I think people are underrating the roster. They just assume that we made the finals last year and that we're just gonna tape rock because it was a bubble fluke. I'm sorry, the culture that has been built up in that organization, the fact that basically half their team was young and is coming up like they're it can only go up. Like Tyler Hero and Duncan and Bam are all twenty something year olds who can always improve. 
Jimmy had a fantastic playoffs, and it make it shows like his ability to basically be a crunch time guy. Um, the fact that we gave the Lakers a good fight, even when two of our three best players were hobbled, I think it shows that we have a good upside. Exactly. But let me ask you this: If coronavirus did not exist, and the NBA playoffs went on as planned, with all the travel and all the fans, do you legitimately believe that the Miami Heat would have made the NBA Finals? You can make a case for either way because I would say I would always argue this. I would always put the facts on paper. Miami had a good record against Milwaukee. I think they still would have advanced to the uh, if they had still made made the Jay Crowder and Iggy Chair, which they did, and they had just made a normal playoffs. I think they would have won the against the Bucks. Would they have won in five games? Probably not because again the first two games were away. But I think they would have won in six or seven games. I'm sorry, especially that last year's Bucks roster. We saw with Giannis how. That heat rush is just the way they defend him and basically force all these difficult three-pointers for guys who can't shoot and were very inconsistent. It showed that Miami had just enough scoring, but definitely the defense and the integrity to like lock up Giannis. Now, so the Celtics, you can make a case either way. I think Boston definitely would have been better had they played home instead of the uh, middle arena. But I thought Miami was more mentally tougher. I think the Celtics lacked... Um, the playoff intensity and the playoff mindset. They made so many mistakes against in all those games. There were winnable games in that series. Exactly. Like, you guys won exactly. The, we should have won. won the. We should have won the you guys first two. Won the, yeah, you should have won that series and been up 2-0 and gone up like three one and one like either four one or four two. But you guys missed key shots. You turned the ball over way too many times in the fourth in the fourth quarter. There were so many instances where Tatum would just dribble up the clock and then just chuck up a long three pointer, or Jalen Brown would just stand it with the at the top of the key. Like, sorry, you guys shut down in the playoffs. Oh like, yeah, oh I yeah. Think, I think I think we can make an argument here that Miami definitely had the better playoff mentality out of any team in the Eastern Conference. Oh yeah, and definitely, that matters. definitely, but. What I'm saying is, I'm just not convinced it would have happened if there wasn't a bubble. And another thing about the Celtics that I forgot to mention, when they when they brought up that signing trade for Gordon Hayward, they had 27 point, they created a 27.3 million dollar trade exception that that I believe will be used to significant to our significant advantage down the line come March, late March, which I think is when the trade deadline is. Andre Drummond, he's got an expiring contract. Do you go out and acquire him? I don't know. Let's we'll find out later. Let's move on to the conference finals. We start out west. Well, last year, the Lakers dispatched the Nuggets in five. Dom, we've both got Lakers Clippers in this series. What will it look like? Uh, I've got Lakers in seven. Um, I think just we just saw in the, the bubble, LeBron and Anthony Davis together is just impossible to stop. I think you can make a case the Lakers supporting cast is a bit better It's than much. Last be- year. It's much better. It's much better. Now, with that said, I am still scared because Dennis Schroeder had a career year. He can always taper off. Um, Montrez Harrell has just not been good in the playoffs in the last couple of years. I think that could be a big problem. I think the Clippers could definitely exploit that. Maybe Paul George, although probably not, could have a comeback, a little mini burst in the playoffs. Uh, it's tough to say on that. I think the jury's out still. Um, I pro- The Lakers are probably the early favorites, but if we see the Clippers really get it together and win a good amount of games in the regular season and just drill through the playoffs, I think we can have the Clippers. But I got Lakers in seven right Yeah, now. you're right. The jury is still out. The jury is still out on all of these. We don't know what any of these predictions are going to look like. That's the fun part about doing them. So I've got Lakers in six as of right now. But like you said, if Paul George can pull off an MVP type season or even Kawhi Leonard, then it could very easily be the Clippers winning the series. But for now, Lakers in six. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think we can actually put a pause here. This is definitely by far and away the hardest in like the last five or ten years of like figuring out who's the champion. Like you can make a case that like seven teams deserve the title this year. Like not even kidding. Like there are so many combinations and just like weird stuff that can happen that like it wouldn't shock. Like if you told me, for example, like Philly won the title or Boston won the title or Dallas won it, like it wouldn't like shock me. 
just because of how loaded the NBA is this year. I think it's really fascinating. Yeah, ever since uh, Kevin Durant, ever since uh, Toronto upended Golden State, it's gotten much less predictable. Definitely agree. All right, so let's actually finish off this bracket here. So let's move back east and let's go with the who you think is going to be in the finals. So I got Heat and um, Brooklyn, and you got um, Celtics and the Bucks, right? Yes, that's correct. And so we are we are radically different here. Oh yeah, we are. And bias may kick in for you. It's kicking in for me. I think the Celtics are going to win the series in six because Jeez. we played <laughs> Milwaukee very well in our two regular what? season matchups before the NBA shut down. We handled Milwaukee when they came to Boston. When we went to Milwaukee, we lost them by five, but we were without Jalen Brown. Then when we played them in the bubble, Giannis should have fouled out, but didn't down the stretch. So, rest kind of cost us that one. So, I truly believe that we can be Milwaukee. I, re- I really, really do. Even though they handled us in 2019, I think it was, we all we know who to blame. Kyrie, sick and Irving. So I, I would push back a little bit. I think if two things happen, one, if Kemba Walker is 100% healthy, you're like 90%. And two, if the Celtics use that trade exception and get themselves like another player who could be in the rotation, I think they'll be in the final. I think they can beat Milwaukee if they had a playoff series. Right now, though, I think Jan, I think we've seen the Bucks. Well, that's, that's the thing, though. Re- I'm under the impression that they will acquire someone and that Kemba Walker will be at least a good fraction of his peak self. So that's where I push back only because I just think that that's like a not a good assumption. Like, it's a good assumption. Like, it's an assumption indeed, but just will it be a re- reality? That's definitely harder to say. Um, but I, I, I would agree with you to an extent. So I'm going to move on to my matchup. So I got Miami and Brooklyn. Um, I, I listen, I'm a heat bandwagoner. I think Brooklyn honestly has the bigger upside. I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie in tandem are probably better than Bam and Jimmy. There's an argument for that. Um, I think the Heat are probably a bit deeper. I think they, the pieces fit better in the puzzle than Brooklyn, just because Brooklyn has a lot of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of ball handlers who need the ball in their hand, who struggle to play off the ball, who are very inconsistent shooting, especially Karis Levert and Dinwiddie, like especially like that. So if I had to pick, I would probably go Brooklyn and lead it like in seven. I think the Heat will put up a fight. But again, if you saw the Heat in the finals, you like we had to agree that if the Heat were in the finals, it wouldn't like shock us. No, of course not. Of course not. Of course not. Absolutely not. So, let's last but certainly not least, the NBA Finals. Last year, the Lakers upended the Heat in six games this whole new year. So, Dominic, we've both got the Lakers, but are these teams differ? I've got Boston, you've got Brooklyn. Who will hoist the Larry O'Brien Trophy this summer, and how many games will they need to do it? Well, as an MJ fan, it pains me to say this, but i got to go with LeBron and the Lakers. I just think that him and AD are a good tandem. I think the supporting cast is probably a little bit better. I think that the field, while competitive still doesn't have the up the upside that the Lakers do. So I'm going to go with Lakers. If it was against Boston, in your case, I would probably say six games. If it was against Brooklyn, I would probably lean seven. Because I think if we had a fully healthy Kevin Durant, or even a 95% Kevin Durant, I still think that's better than Tatum right now. So I'm going to say if it was against the Celtics in six games, if against the Nets in seven. Even, if it, this, even, if, even though the Celtics played the Lakers well last year, I think the Lakers are going to win this in seven. I'm going to... Go there. Yeah, I know. I But, you know, LeBron, he's still the king, even though I think he'll take a slight, 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 slight step back this year. Game 7, LeBron, as we've seen over the years, has been unbeatable ever since he got into Miami. So I've got the Lakers in 7. As much I have as it another bracket off to the side with Wizard, Wizards winning the title. <laughs> <laughs> you just had to throw that at me, didn't you? 
yeah one one last time <laughs> but anyway uh there you have it folks that is our 2020 2021 season predictions for the 75th annual nba season and with that that's all for today i'm dominic chapone i'm liam griffin i'd like to thank dominic for being my guest today and thank you for tuning in be sure to give this podcast a follow on instagram at full court press podcast and on twitter at full cp podcast that's f-u-l-l-c-p podcast and if you're interested in being a guest please dm the podcast or contact me as always, please, please, please stay healthy, wash your hands, be safe, and be positive. Next week, oh, do we have a fun one, folks. Luke Perot will be back on the show for the first time in two and a half years as we preview the 2021 college football playoff season. We will discuss if Ohio State has a legit shot after they won today, given their few games they played, assuming they get it again. If the championship winner will tumble like LSU has. If a Jalen Waddle return for Alabama is possible. Did the committee get it right? Who will ultimately win it all? And more. We'll see you then.